Welcome to Challenging Paradigm X. How can we understand consciousness and the nature of reality from the scientific and spiritual perspective? Do we need science to become more holistic? And are competition and cooperation opposites? My guest today is Daniel Dick. He has a background in system science, consciousness research, anthropology, holistic medicines, sexual pedagogy, and consultancy and management. He is driven by his curiosity and extensively traveled to explore various cultures, different spiritual paths, and holistic healing techniques, as well as altered states of consciousness, to make sense about experiences and human life. He helps others to move to a meaningful and healthy co-creation and he organized several conferences and symposia around his topics. He's also a co-author of the book Sex, Masculinity and God. So if you're interested to find out more about his understanding of consciousness from a scientific and spiritual perspective, stay tuned. Hello, Daniel. I'm happy to have you here at my podcast. Uh, please introduce yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Hi. Nice to see you again. My name is Daniel. Daniel Dick. I have like different facets. Right now, I'm in a Buddhist center practicing Tibetan Buddhism. That's like my main thing here in COVID times was the best thing to really go into retreat and go inside and uh, having spent much time in the garden. And meanwhile, also working on some publications, some projects to finish. So I've been author. Before coming here, I was much more into organizing institutions around consciousness studies. And I co-founded two institutions around consciousness studies. And I have been mainly also in system science. So my my past has been very much the academic career, trying to combine on one hand, you know, consciousness, spirituality, knowledge about, about the mind, about how does the world actually work if we really see them as something that we are able to get to know. So that was like my, my academic path coming from social and cultural anthropology, always focusing religion and consciousness studies and the well, I like actually doing photography, but that's only on the side. <laughs> this has been like my main endeavor. I have been also a bit in consulting, also a bit into horoscopy, especially the Mayan, the Mayan system. I'm very enthusiastic about the Mayan calendar and teach some people about that. And privately, I also have been always kind of involved into like healing arts, like holistic healing arts. And trying also to, to combine this with the science that I had. I wanted to do a PhD about that, but actually now it worked out. It was better like that. And this makes like a big convolution about learning from cultures, because that's my the former background about cultural social anthropology. My parents are from Chile, I'm from Germany, and I love travel always. And to learn from different cultures, always asking the question, what is what is like in common to, to different religions. Why do people in South America have mermaids too and talk about things that I thought this would only happen in, in European fairy tales or yeah, different stories. 
about how the world works together and seeing that in different parts of the world, they're coming like to same similar conclusions. It was like my, my interest had to get this together in my mind, together with my experiences and have been also involving psychedelics, especially in South America, medicine plants, and yeah, making my mind out of what life is and what we're doing here and what's the best thing to do moving forward to trying to be a good human somehow. And I'm, I have no family. I have my family as my brother and my mom and my friends. And so like relationships itself has shaped also my way very deeply because the questions about meaning of life was always kind of related to love in, in the sense. And what is human love? What is like the spiritual love that has no, no boundaries or no exclusivity? So that was is some, some guiding questions of my life. Like why does love has to be like exclusive? If you love someone, you know, why you can't love someone else. And then comes jealousy and anger and feelings of that you can't do something or what is freedom to love or not. So it's a kind of inspired a bit of the, the good old tippies. And, uh, uh, why do you do what you do? Oh, I kind of ha had like a cut with, with academia, with scientific exploration, because it, it had kind of some, some limits for, for what I was searching for. In, in the past, I was very much into, into science and getting knowledge about consciousness studies, which gave me like a lot of information, how my mind actually works. And therefore you're constantly involved with your mind, with your consciousness examining what the consciousness does. So it's a very close loop and gives you a lot of concepts which actually also gets into a lot of projections, you know, because you see your mind and your mind is what you perceive, you know. And especially if you go into symbology, archetypes and stuff like that, it becomes very interesting to, to see how different shapes, as, as I said, come together from different cultures different patterns always repeat in different stories and stuff. So my main interest was really like this curiosity about how the world works. And therefore I was doing like science and in the past, I mean, I, I can go even far back because, uh, one event in my life was very hard and shaped my life very deeply because my father committed uh, suicide when I was 14. And then it was like a lot of survival mode. I became like the, the father role in the family because it was the older one. Just from one day to the other, it was adult. So my mom wouldn't ask me anymore when to come home. So I was 14 and I was fully responsible for my life. And then the question was so into the face, you know, what's life? What's the meaning of life? You know, if your father commits suicide and you ask yourself like, really? What the hell are you doing here? You know, <laughs> and in psychology, in Jungian psychology, it's said that these questions usually come when you really are about to die, you know, after you, you pass the fifties and so on. And you ask yourself, oh my God, what did I do with my life? So these questions came for me when I was 14. And that was like the interest into philosophy. And because of my mom and also my dad, I was always interested into holistic healing methods. That was my part father's side and my mom has had always like a spiritual connection to say like very special dreams and and stuff like that 
And after I did my school, I went to South America, you know, really with this wish to, to explore this meaning of life. So visit the shamans and purifications and learned about uh, Reiki, like healing arts with, with hands and energy, which uh, open up a huge dimension of perception and of beings, which to that time was like experience. But I couldn't make my mind out of it, like really understand this in a coherent worldview. These experiences have been like very deeply also shaping my life in, in various ways because they are till now shaping very much on what I rediscovering now also from the Buddhist knowledge. So on one hand, the death of my father and the reflection about death and the meaning of life put me on a track to ask philosophy, spirituality and stuff like that about this meaning of life, which led me to a lot of experiences and that experiences, I couldn't explain myself. And then I went studying. Actually, I wanted to do photography and, and traveling around. And that's why I thought anthropology would be nice. But there was this professor that was teaching consciousness and religion studies. And I was like, wow, that's my thing. There I have my answers. And so I started under him, became his tutor and he, my mentor, but then he died 2013 from cancer. And after the three months after that, the skeptics came, like, it's like a self-named police against uh, bad scientific behavior, you could say, because some of the students did really not a good job on, on their thesis, but they just uh, want to have a safe worldview that everything is just material and everything has a cause and effect. So there was an article in the news that was defamating very much his work or the fellowship that he created. And that led me to uh, study material, like materialistic worldview, which in turn led me to ask about the philosophy of science. How do you actually get to know what you know? That was in the thesis. And this led me to system science. System science led me back to consciousness. And um, actually going through these founding institutions of consciousness studies, discovering myself again, that actually like the, the deep longing was actually going back more to spirituality. So, but two years ago, I had a very deep cut also of my life, which, uh, kind of very provocative put like this this cut which catapulted me in, in various ways to say okay I'll stop i won't do this work anymore i don't know what i'm gonna do but i'm just noticing that i forgot very much about myself because i became like very ambitious on the career of being someone important flying around and doing conferences and stuff like that and yeah, the last year I was just together with a, with a girl that was American and we got together a job to, to open up a holistic healing center in Germany. And she was from America. That was also the way we could stay together. And then came COVID and the relationship didn't work out. And then I said, okay, what, what shall I do? And it is a very old wish that I had to, to go like to a monastery or something like that. I was always like, I once have to do this. I don't know, like a deep sense of very often telling like my girlfriends, like, you know, at, at some point I will, I will have to go to, to the spiritual path. You know, 
I don't know, I always had this in my mind that I had to do this. So, and now I'm in a Buddhist center, I'm finally doing that. And she's very much at home, sometimes a bit impatient because it's a lot of discipline, but it's also in Europe, so it's also very nice to, uh, that you don't have this harsh, harsh discipline as you would have in India, or Nepal, stuff like that. And having COVID passed in here was also a very nice ambience. And meanwhile, I also wrote a book, yeah, with two other guys uh, about sex, masculinity, and God, which is tackling actually in a conversation very much this question about the exclusivity of love, the sexual drive, like the very unconsciousness doing around mating relationships, but also what does it do with ethics? You know, if you're true to yourself because you're feeling for someone else, but you're in a relationship, what does it mean? To very philosophical questions too, like what has love and death actually in common? It was a very deep investigation. And out of one of the institutions that I've co-founded, the Academy of Consciousness Research of Vienna, there's still a book to be finished. It took me a while, but we are now in a very good, good run that it could really finish. There were, I think, 12 people involved in that. I'm very happy to, to be able to present these findings in, in a proper way. Unfortunately, it will be in German. The other one is in English. Yeah. You've uh, talked about uh, having gone into consciousness uh, science from different perspectives. So what's your conclusion thus far? Like, what's the essence of what your conclusion is mm. at the moment? I think the best way I could summarize that is uh, actually in Nietzsche's words. Nietzsche uh, wrote like the three, three metamorphoses of the mind, where he said, like in the beginning, then the mind is like a, a camel. It takes like all the heavy load. And the more you thrive to know something, you know, you take the burdens to go into the desert and you have patience and you carry heavy load and you go on. Maybe in a caravan, you have some, some companions that you go with and you, you make it like from one oasis to the other to really get this thirst stilled. And the second turning is uh, to become a lion. The lion is the one that, that doesn't ask anymore, what should I, but turns the values around and say, what do I want? He becomes like the, the power, the, the, how to say that, the king of the desert. And he is that the one that creates the values while he's fighting the dragon that has on his skin all the values written in. And uh, then he asks about what is the third change of mind? What is the third metamorphosis that the mind can do? And it is the child to say yes to life and to look at it openly as every day new, as you would know nothing again. And the summarizes very much, you know, I could also tell like the, the story of one professor that was studying an island, a very, very tiny island. And he said to me, you know, when I wrote my PhD thesis about this island, I knew exactly how this island worked. You know, he was anthropologist and 
asked everyone, checked into economy, politics, religion, and stuff like that. And I said, after 10 years, I was like, yeah, I didn't really get what's happening there. And now I'm studying this island about 40 years. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So is that how you feel about uh, consciousness? You know, you can say a lot about first perception. You have your senses and out of your senses, you make a distinction to say, oh, that's something. In that moment, you, you have like a second level that creates time because you got a friction of a moment that you realize that is something to a moment which is not. And that what is something is usually charged with emotion, with uh, judgment to say, I mean, it's even a judgment to say, this is a laptop, you know, and uh, you might even have a heavy charged emotionally charged perception and say, wow, that's a very beautiful laptop, you know, or it's even my laptop, you know. So, so this is like the first notion where we create meaning. And if we repeatedly have this notion of time that we put together, that we have experienced something before and judged this is that, then we have something that creates the world of ideas. I would say it simply because We have words, you know, suddenly you know what a laptop is without knowing how my laptop is looking like, because, you know, you have seen a lot of laptops, you know, and each time frame that you recognize and said, this is a laptop, you would now have an image of that, that what a laptop is. And this creates uh, consciousness around things that are not actually in time and place of your senses, which is a very interesting consciousness itself. And then we have like the, the next notion where we put all these ideas together into, into a proximity. You know, we can say what well, the laptop is, there's usually the table to the table, there's like the floor and to the floor, there are like the walls around the walls is the house. You know? So everything is kind of next to each other. And we put like system of thoughts together. And this system of thoughts can be also around science. You know, where we say we have these rules among the words that we have and the things that are close to each other make a set of rules so that this conglomerate of ideas stay together. And that's how religion works. That's how like companies work. That's how They always put like a boundary around an approximity that is one and localized, but extends over time and space through the ideas. And in this level, we have like various levels. One is like, yeah, very short in time and the other ones are very long in time. And they can be that long that are close to infinity. And this is when we come to a symbolic order of the universe. In an archetypal and symbolic meaning, things repeat each other in different notions of time and patterns throughout the creation of their ideas, which are reflected in our minds. And interestingly enough, through all times that had the capacity of building up a civilization to, to project us. Yeah. And, um, 
beyond beyond that, there is not much more either when you really are trying to unfold different um and here even even words are very difficult because you're already in symbolic order which which on one hand has to be also sound has to be also color has to be also movement has to be also shape has to be also understood not from a conceptual framework of knowing what it is but also having one and the system of thought but at the same time no concept of feeling to be able to feel without a concept but having the system of thoughts in in mind and this is a very interesting theory yeah and beyond that there is the mind that is able to embrace all of that where there is just nothingness there is there are two kinds of nothingness one one nothingness that is like the dark void it's like shit there's really nothing you know <laughs> it's a very uncomfortable place to be and um there is the void that it's actually not nothing like of a shitty place but actually a very beautiful place because it is filled with compassion so this nothingness is just always described as a pure light or as god or as emptiness and compassion at the same time for the buddhist or as the blissful being you know and there's the question is so how much like how how clear that is in between is also just the the experience of of light itself like in its colors but there is also beyond the colors one fear that is you could say without color you know if you have like a prism which uh, divides all the colors you just go behind that you know we always see colors you know we don't see light it's not something that you can perceive it's something that is all the time but it's be- beyond the veil you know it's beyond this prism that spreads out the light in its spectrum so um basically this is a buddhist concept that you were talking about mostly the way i understand it's not only buddhist it was also highly influenced from system science I mean, they, they come very close to Buddhists and the scientists. That's why they are very friend to each other. But at the end, if you take like the Gnostic or any any symbolic order, you know, like Freemasonry or others, I mean, that's what the most know. But there's very the Hinduist culture is also very rich on that. But also, if you go to the Andean cosmology, you can go into that. They don't have much the notion about these ultimate stages but actually they have some some of them but it's not very much recorded you also have this in native american traditions if you have you talk about the great mystery and and the great father and stuff like that great mystery is like also this void where there's nothing but everything comes out of it and the different notions but the, the importance always in these traditions are really like this the the heart level you know to not go into a dark voidness but into a light voidness where you can hold and you want to contribute to to the life-giving forces and even though things die but to to the cycles itself yeah maybe yeah. just for those listeners who don't know anything about these things we're basically talking about the nature of reality at least from 
different traditions than the classical Western tradition. Let's put it that way. And it's, it's, it has a different perspective on the nature of reality. So than what we are used to in the West, at least just to sum it yeah. up in a way. I mean, to, yeah, to give it up also some, some, some scientific background. I mean, because one major, one major question right now is like this quantum physics. You know, when I was in this other institute, there was a lot about the convergence about quantum physics and psychology that you can't distinguish the observer from the observed. They have an effect to each other because the experiment always changes if someone looks at it. So then the hard materialists have to look into the psychologists because there's something going on with the mind. And the second thing that, that led to this uh, question is actually coming from system science. And here I have to point at Luhmann on the first hand, but also George Spencer Brown. And they have taken up like the key formations for, for this kind of thinking. But also if you look into Kant, you know, he, at the end he said, well, <laughs> what you know is what you are, but actually it's more about what you imagine that becomes like more important at the end. And I mean, from, from a very down to earth perspective to say, to, to bring it down to earth, we always think that the things are very separate from, from ourselves. And the things doesn't have much influence on how we feel and what we do and what we think. But there are some, some proofs also from science that are doing like this research on how you change water molecules or with your emotionality and your wording or how you change uh, random generators, like machines that to random numbers and put an intention, you change the randomness. So some intention is there in the mind that has influence even on machines. And uh, if you think about your mom, you know, and she calls you, these are like small things where, where love shows a connection that is very visible. So these are only some hints, but you can always ask yourself, like, which, if you dream, which eyes are seeing what you see? You, know, you have a dream, you see things. What are the eyes that are looking these dreams? Yeah. I'm really interested in the book you wrote. Could you elaborate a bit on that? It's uh, what is it called? Sex, masculinity and God? Sex, masculinity and God. Exactly. The book was first introduced by Cadel Last as an idea to me because I met him and we talked about his philosopher and he talked about like, what's the real in philosophy? You know, we, we're getting all these ideas. You know, we talk all, all the time about these ideas in philosophy, but what's the real, you know, where we can base a philosophy in the real. And there's nothing more. May I ask you, do you mean um, re reality or the, the, what do you mean by the real? By the real, because philosophers, for example, they think about thinking and how thinking works with the thinking and thinking, you know, so they get like into a loop where the, the world of ideas is explored. But when it comes to, to daily life, then we, we get into trouble, you know, because we have relationships, because we have feelings and stuff like that, you know? So his question was very much about how can we 
put philosophy back down to earth, you know, to, to what matters to the people, you know, not about some elitaire thinking about, you know, where, where it doesn't really matter to everyday life, you know, where, where are the people, what's, what's, what's really matter, you know, and what everybody is kind of involved into is sex, you know, sex and food maybe and sleeping, you know, that's some basic needs. But actually, almost nobody talks in philosophy about sex. And this is something really, I mean, why? Almost no big philosopher talks about sex. But then psychoanalysts, you know, we had Freud, we had Jung, and stuff like that. And um, from this discussion, he said he's going to invite a third person. It is uh, Kevin Arnold, and he's co-chosen for masculinity, and is very much in, uh, popular about really empowering men in their masculinity because we also got like the feeling that, especially in the academic sphere, that you're not allowed to be a, math, a man really anymore because there was a lot of um, awareness about rapist culture. So the book actually is setting up the question about attraction and it's like a bit of the lock of irritation of, of temporary masculinity. And um, because it's actually in a deep dive about psychological development that comes out of the direction that gives you unconsciousness and the deepest desires that are leading actually the unconsciousness and your movement through the world. And how does it relate to, to ethics? How does it relate to archetypes of, of different cultures? How does it relate to, to the absolute truth, to the absolute love and the relative one? You know, how do we really find each other in relationship to, you know, how can we be true to ourselves? What is truth at all? And it describes a bit of this path that you go through a desire, through a learning process to uncover what has been unconscious to the consciousness. And very up down to, to earth through the question about what is sex? What is death? What is love? What is ethics? What is real? Yeah. Okay. So that was okay. the short attempt to really make a conversation out of, like, amongst kind of last Kevin Aras and, and me to have, like, this trialogues, we call that, to uncover, like, what really matters, you know, relationship, loves, our desires for, for the other half, you know, to say. So what's, what's, What's happening if there is no half anymore and the book has been written by the three of you or is it one of you has written it and it's it was created out of these conversations that you had how, how was it it started through online conversations that has been streamed on facebook on youtube and that was transcribed and re-edited and we had then a second row where we had like 10 of these episodes again to revisit these 10 chapters these 10 episodes and is now in the process to be re-edited as, as the second edition of the book. Additionally to, to the 10 chapters that we had before, it's coming like a redefined version with now an interesting three years for the three of us, you know, going through a lot of processes emotionally, also on a personal side and intellectually. That was like a very wonderful journey to, to have a ride with these gentlemen, Carlos and Kevin Oros. Basically giving a workshop and a talk on the European Men's Gathering this summer in, in Denmark. 
and uh, it will be very interesting to to see. And we got a really good feedback so far from people. So we'll see. And so, please tell me, um, what paradigms do you think need to be challenged in a world today when it comes to consciousness or anything else that uh, is related to what you work on? I mean, the first thing that has to really be changed in the mind of the people is that we depend on each other. You know, we are like, like the nature. If you put something out, the next to it will also die. So you, you can't survive if you just want to survive for yourself. You always have to make the whole thing be able to survive. So the, the very first change of mind has to happen, I think, in science, to not see things as separate and not, not investigating them separately. I mean, there's a, a very good uh, approach to see how things function because you put something out, you know, it's like your body. You know why you have a lag to the point where you're really noticing it. It's when it hurts or when you don't have it anymore. You know, then you have the appreciation. That's usually like science works. You know, that you put just a piece out, but actually you examine the piece and not the whole thing, you know. So how this whole body works is very complicated and you have to take the piece out, but not look the piece that you took out. Look the thing that is the whole thing, you know. And this is, relates to the human body, so we need holistic medicine. It relates to our ecology, our relationship to ecology and nature, and also how we are together as a community, as a social being, and all the political system that comes behind that. Next thing that has to be changed is really to make an education that allows people to grow for, on one hand, for compassion and for freedom, you know. We don't learn among these values anymore. You know, we learn how to be better and competitive and um, hopefully to be better as your neighbor, which doesn't make any sense. You know, we need much more cooperation to be better. That's how civilizations grow and as we grow. We need competition to re-examine ourselves and to position ourselves among each other. What are my talents? But the school system had it working right now it's like you, you're making like a machine of a of a copy that everybody has to do the same. And that's not worthy. We need people that express as individual talents. And for that, some kind of competition as well. But actually the competition should be around what who does the best better cooperation. I mean yeah, I mean, this goes also to religion or science or whatever. I think there's so much knowledge that we can grasp also from our internet that we don't need to learn so many things by heart in our brain. We have to learn much more about our emotions, about how to use our mind properly, not only learning by repeating things, but how to get insight, you know, how to have a perception, how to and this is also very much to actually Hinduistic yogic tradition, like to master really the body. This is actually something that is very much needed in the West as well as in the East. It's much needed to have technology and proper discipline on a technological side and organizational side of, to allow social beings, you know, social security, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the paradigm is from from the small 
that's me and that's I and I need this to uh, how can we make this together? Uh, there's no other way to make it together. And even scientifically, it makes, doesn't make any sense. And all spiritual traditions are talking about this. But I was saying the narrow scientific mind to separate all things is just, yeah, it doesn't lead to anywhere. Just putting things apart, 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 and not finding anything in putting things apart. If you imagine 100 years from now, when people look back and uh, think of you, your grandchildren, for example, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, good question. For my grandchildren, I wish uh, that I would tell them good stories that inspire. Yeah, I think um, I had a granddad that told me a lot of good values and great stories. I hope to, to follow this example, to be at least for my grandchildren, uh, love to have stories, to be a granddad uh, that really has time for them, that can teach them about life lessons, yeah. give them some directions so that they might remember me as someone that, you know, like a role model. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking your time and being here. And I wish you a great day. Thank you. <laughs> so Thank you. Farewell for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for staying tuned for this edition of Challenging Paradigm X. If you like this episode with Daniel Dick, feel free to share it with your community so Daniel's message gets spread even further. In the show notes, you will find the links to Daniel's work. Please hit subscribe and rate my podcast if you liked it. I'd also be glad if you write me a review. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact me. Next week, we are up with the next edition of Challenging Paradigm X. Until then, I wish you a great week.